on this episode of the Sports Turn Podcast, the Liverpool Breakdown, Liverpool, Aston Villa, at Anfield, transfer window was up, it was time for Liverpool to go to business at their home ground, and it turned out to be a dominant performance, Villa, a pretty bad performance from Liverpool, an imperious, a clinical performance leading to a 3-0 win, let's discuss what went through, let's discuss the brilliance of Dominic Soboslay and Trent Alexander-Arnold, let's discuss why Liverpool were able to stifle Aston Villa, let's get into it. To cut some slack to Aston Villa, um, in what I thought was a pretty bad game for them, uh, in terms of execution of game plan, but even just game plan in its own, I think Unai Emery got it pretty, pretty wrong, and, and we'll get into why why I think that, but to cut some slack to them, to be fair, they were hit by with the worldie in the first five minutes, and that is that goal there, that left-footed strike from outside the box, off the rebound, off a set-piece, of a corner kick from Dominic Soberslai, is why... He is such a nuanced midfielder and an attacking midfielder. We have seen his outer position strength and work ethic. We have seen how he can cut off any balls. We have seen how he's always in the right position. We have seen how he aids the fluidity and the flexibility in roles of Mohamed Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold in attack in position. We have seen his own in-position skills with his ability to make pinpoint passes, nifty dribbles, um, control the tempo of the game. But that there in itself is a salient feature of his individual quality. He is a brilliant ball striker, and he can score goals like that, and he will score a few more goals like that this season because that's what his highlight reel is made of. And um, it, it reminded me of a strike that they took of a... That he took off a corner against Manchester City when he was at Leipzig. Um, it was in the the round of sixteen or, or the quarterfinal. I can't remember. Um, I think the round of sixteen. It was in the round of sixteen. The first leg at at home. Um, took the strike off a corner. Similar strike. Crossbar. Um, crossbar save. Goes for another corner and the Guardiola scores off the following, following corner. That there, Dominic subsides away, he can strike the ball. And he has just been such a seamless fit into to Liverpool and the Liverpool culture. And that goal in its own will just sort of further that narrative of how dominant of a player is and how sort of just exciting of a player is. So for Villa to sort of be... Um, to cop that in the first five minutes is tough because usually the best time to pounce against Liverpool, um, especially at home, is at the start. The first 15, 20 minutes, they can be a bit shaky. They can not grow into the game. They can be a bit unorganised. And sometimes they can find themselves one no down like they did against Bournemouth. But something like that, that obviously minimises the, the variance of that happening. But I think you can also be equally critical because if you know that Dominic Sobosa has that ability off set pieces um, from the edge of set pieces, then you should have someone marking him. If you know he's such a great striker of the ball, then he shouldn't be left unmarked on the edge of the box. He shouldn't be given that much space and that much time to unleash that shot because he clearly has the ability to pull off something like that. Um, so yeah, perhaps you could also look at it from that end. In terms of Aston Villa, um, out of possession they set up in a in a four four two or or a four three three. It was more a four four two, with Diaby and then Watkins occupying the front two, and then Kamara, um, Kamara and John McGinn, and then Matty Cash, um, and then Matty Cash are doing to change when there was the injury to Diego Carlos. Um, but the out of possession structure was quite narrow. So the front two, as I said, DRB and Watkins, they were tasked with marking the central zone in front of McAllister and Solvesi. So they were ta- tasked in essentially intercepting the balls that go in towards McAllister and Solvesi. The midfield four, um, so the the edge of the midfield four, so the Maddie Cash and then the left side, um, they would 
try to have the wingers marked. But that's when Liverpool's fluidity comes in. Because at times they have the central midfielders, um, they have the central midfielders being the wide outlets and the wingers cutting inside. Or at times you have the fullbacks being the wide outlets and the central midfielders holding a, a regulation role and the, the wingers is playing in the, in the half spaces. Um, so the fact that they were trying to man mark or I guess just stay very close to the wingers it really didn't work because it would always be spare man and Liverpool would always have numerical superiority because of just the flexibility and the interchangeable positions um, and also the fact that were quite narrow meant that, meant that there were a lot of 1v1 isolated situations out wide and I thought Luis Diaz himself he had quite a few 1v1 isolated situations he perhaps could have done much better um, than he did in terms of the pressing structure this is where I think Unai Emery got it very very wrong. Um, in terms of the out-of-possession structure, I think Emery got it wrong there as well. I don't think he adapted to Liverpool's flexibility at all. I don't think there was really any solution offered towards the the flexibility that, that Liverpool showed. Um, and I guess let's talk about that flexibility first. And we, we talked about it in terms of the Bournemouth game, we talked about it in terms of the Newcastle game as well. But basically, Dominic like he aids such technical flexibility and fluidity in Liverpool's system. He can occupy a right central midfield role, and he, he can occupy a right midfield role. And at times, he can even occupy a right wing role. When he's sort of right central mid and playing the center of the park, what will happen is um, Trent will most likely um, Trent will most likely sort of go down the flank, and Salah will play in the half space. When he occupies a very wide sort of right right mid sort of role, just very wide right central mid, Trent will invert. Salah will play um, more centrally. And at times he might occupy the wide role. Um, he might occupy the centre role, and Trent will still invert and Liverpool try to sort of congest the midfield and play play vertically through the midfield. The point is, down that right hand side, there are many situations to consider because at times Salah will hug the touchline. At times Salah will play through the half space. At times Nunez will come out wide. At times Nunez will even go down the left, and Diaz will play central. At times Salah will go completely central, and Solskjaer will play in the winger role. At times Trent will go down the flank. At times Solskjaer and Trent will both congest the midfield. The point being, there are so many combinations. There's so much flexibility there. It's just it, 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 there's nuance to the system. You can't quantify Liverpool as a four-three-three or a three-three-two-two-three um, anymore. It, it's quite, um, it's quite dynamic. It's quite interchanging, and there's, there's, there's chemistry. I don't think you can call it sort of. Um, I, I don't think it's relationism. Uh, I don't think they're playing sort of um, in, in such a great chemistry and such a such a free-flowing system where there is actually no positions and they're, they're sort of just. Um, taking up positions based on the, the relationship with the ball. I, I don't think that's going on. But um, there is definitely a, a dynamism and a flexibility and a fluidity that we didn't see last year. And to for it to sort of defensively work um, despite such attacking nuance uh, shows a little bit of grown because last year they, they didn't really have much attacking nuance because they were so defensively occupied. But yeah, that was the fluidity, that was the flexibility, and Emery didn't really change his out-of-position structure much at all. He didn't really change his, his marking structure. He just stuck to the same same structure. Liverpool will constantly have numerical superiority. They'll be constantly the first person to the, the second ball because they just have extra players that have more overloads, that have more, more power, more physical power, and they will just bully, bully Aston Villa. Um... And I think in terms of bullying Aston Villa, Villa was just so timid in the way they played. The, the pressing was just so non-existent. There were times, like, um, often when the... I, I think the only pressing trigger that I was, I was able to find from Aston Villa was when when Liverpool would play quite fast and direct into the feet of their central midfielders. Um, at that stage, the, the Villa midfield would, would press because they know that the, the control of that ball hasn't been the best because of how fast the ball played and was and um, how direct it was. So they, they, they have 
not much ground to cover, so they get tied to the midfielders in that sense. But the front two barely press the Liverpool back line, so the Liverpool build up was a legit uh, a four-two or even a four-three at times. That's how sort of um, that's how sort of much space and time that the the back line had. Trent could legit play as a as a third centre back. Um, with Matip on the right on right side of them, and there's Gomez on the left side, and the Robertson is a left centre back position. So all four were involved in the build up. McAllister was involved. Sobosai would come back. Jones would come back. Even Luis Diaz would come back, which we we'll discuss. So there was just so much time on the ball for Liverpool, and I think it, it aided, um, it aided Trent Alexander-Arnold's first half performance, which was scintillating. By the way, um, to discuss Trent Alexander-Arnold's first half performance, oh wow, he played so well, and um, I think it was as a result of the fact that he was staying slightly deeper instead of inverting sort of right into the central midfield. He was staying slightly deeper. It was sort of I want to say it was a centre back role, but it was between sort of an inverted full back and, and a centre back role. Um, essentially, he was receiving the ball on the edge of the block or outside the block, um, and the fact that he wasn't within the block and the fact that there was no presser, there was no. Pre- pressure or pressing structure onto him he just has so much more time to exercise his vision um and the fact that Aston Villa had a high line which is another one of Emery's sort of tactical flaws in my opinion in this game um the fact that Aston Villa had, uh, had such a high line it just seemed a recipe for disaster because Trent had so much time with the ball so he could literally calculate and then sort of tee up that vision for the runs in behind it was Nunez and Salah and it would work because they were quicker than the Aston Villa back line and with a high line, they would just constantly, it would be so easy for them getting get behind. Um, and Salah and Diaz are a handful on their own with their pace, especially, but with Nunez starting, they will have another dimension with the runs in behind. So I, I, I look, Unai Emery is a football manager. I'm sure he had his ideas. Um, but I think it's quite a valid argument to make that he, he's got it wrong against Newcastle, he's got it wrong against Liverpool, and I'm not sure if that's because of stubbornness to stick to a system, similar to what we're seeing with Vincent Company at Burnley. Um, because... Liverpool and Newcastle are similar in the sense that they run. They're physical. They'll run all game. They'll run in behind them with their attackers. They'll run. They'll press you hard. Um, they'll they'll test your high line if you have one. They'll test your pressing structure if you have one, which Villa didn't really have one. Um, and they lost 5-1 to Newcastle and they lost 3-0 to Liverpool. So clearly against teams that sort of have more physical resources against them. Perhaps the high line doesn't work because they're leaking. They leaked eight goals in those games. And... Uh, Perhaps it's adamancy that Emery has to stick to his game and perhaps that adamancy needs to change and he needs to realise the resources he has relative to teams like Liverpool, relative to teams like Newcastle, and therefore he needs to sort of um, concoct a, a different game plan, perhaps a bit more of a, a lower block or perhaps a bit more of a high press and then a, a, a very settled sort of defensive um, out-of-possession structure, some, something similar to perhaps what Bournemouth did. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's that's what she would say regarding that. Um but yeah, I, I thought Trent was allowed to play to sort of sum at that point. I thought Trent Lanzano was sort of allowed to play. Um, nevertheless, doesn't take anything away from his performance. His first half performance it was unreal. Um, he created uh, created five chances, uh, two big chances, passing passing accuracy of ninety six percent. He had I think six six or eight through balls in behind. It was it was ridiculous. Um, and I thought Klopp also Klopp and Trent themselves I think read the situation well. Um, Trent stayed a bit deeper because of the amount of time he had the ball um and he could have easily just played normal position but then i perhaps the success wouldn't have, wouldn't have been as sort of glorified as it was because the fact that it was deep he had that sort of space to see those runs in behind which he executed really really well Liverpool's press utterly bullied aston villa and that's a very good sign because i think that was the salient 
their salient struggle of Liverpool's season last year, just their press, it, it wasn't coherent, there was no coherence, there was no rhythm, there was no sort of intensity or energy in Liverpool's press last season because of ageing legs and also because of so, so many changes that they kept having to make in midfield and sort of the lack of confidence as well. Um, but yeah, Liverpool's press was utterly bullied Aston Villa. The Villa was stifled. Um, they could barely get the ball and Liverpool just keep coming back at them with their sort of counter-press and in... in in, in situations where they had to do a normal high press with the high press to sort of understand Liverpool's press the, the, the principle didn't change at all um, we've talked about that principle many a time on, on this podcast so just if you want a detailed explanation of Liverpool's press let's go, go watch some of the other episodes perhaps the, the Chelsea episode might be a, a good watch because in that case I actually thought that Klopp had to deviate away from his principle a bit um, although I, th- I do think in terms of, okay so let me I guess let's do a crash course of what Liverpool's press is usually like the front three are usually in charge of pressing the back four um, or even even five if, if sort of a winger drops in behind and the midfielder midfielders are sort of in charge just pressing the, the, the midfield zone in front of them um, so when the spare men come into midfield in the build up so let's say Aston Villa who had a 2-2 build up roughly they'd have usually one or two midfielders coming in to help the two centre backs what would happen is Curtis Jones and Dominic Thompson would follow those two midfielders and they would stay constantly and pressurise them um, and then McAllister would come in behind them but because Aston Villa had those wide routlets Luis Diaz was not the, the, the forward pressing line was not like a, a horizontal line of three Luis Diaz was sort of um, close to the, the right the, the right mid of, of Aston Villa um, and that was similar to what they did against Newcastle with Luis Diaz and man marking Kieran Trippier I think it's a lesson that Klopp learnt from the first game with Chelsea where Reese James and, and Ben Chivo essentially just left left unoccupied because the front line would be pressing the, the back three um, and then the midfielders would be pressing the central midfielders of Enzo and Gallagher so James and Chilwell would just be left open and constantly Chelsea would come at them and Liverpool would have no possession I think Klopp's learned a bit of lesson from that and Luis Diaz does play more of a deeper role in, in, in the press now um, which is possible because of how aggressive and how hard-working Subasline and Jones are they, they, they cover the ground um, regardless and even Nunez is a great runner while his pressing instincts and his ability to read triggers may not be the best he's a great runner so, um, yeah, Aston Villa aim for a 2-2 on build-up, as I said, and Sobosan Jones will be on the two midfielders, and Nunez Osala would be marking the, the two centre-backs, and they'll be shadow-marking aggressively to try to block off the passes back to the two midfielders. Diaz and Trent would be very high up on the, the wider options, and then McAllister would be in and behind, and they'll play a high line, so any balls towards the front two would be mopped up by the likes of Matip and Gomez, who had great games, and um, Robertson there as well was happy to step up. And it just didn't work for Aston Villa. They were just out outmatch physically the press was very good from Liverpool the the roles were understood the triggers were understood and um they, it was quite good especially in the first half in the second half when they started to tire a bit there were a few more second balls sort of not been one there were a few more lines being broken um but that happens that happens in the game um but it, it was most mostly a a positive when the press was broken um which which was still a few times. It wasn't that the press wasn't broken. I could still count at least in the in the first half like a handful of times when the press was broken and Aston Villa were in a transitional moment. Which I I don't think you're going to say it's a major negative of the of the performance. Sure, you, you perhaps don't want that to happen. Um, and you perhaps like if that was avoided. Um, but with a team like Aston Villa who do have good individual quality and in likes of Musa Diaby in the in the likes of um, Babubakar or Kamara. In the likes of John McGinn, who's a great runner, even Ollie Watkins, I, I think is quite good. Leon Bailey, when he came on, made some impact. He also had a few errors, major errors, and in, in, in on the ball. Um, 
but yeah, there were a lot of transitional moments, and why these transitional moments were able to be caused was because Villa, Aston Villa had pace. So at times when Liverpool was pressing, trigger was just a few seconds off, or, or the the positioning, the body was just a, a few seconds late, or the the challenge was just a few seconds late. The like of likes of Diaby and Bailey were able to glide past the the the, the players making the challenge, and then they play very very direct. They play into the feet of Diaby. They play in the feet of Bailey. They play into the feet of Watkins. They they don't sort of play in behind. They play straight into them, um, and they play straight into sort of. Uh, they run straight into the spaces and then they pass straight into the player who's occupying the spaces. So that essentially means that often it's just 1v1 situations that the back line is matching up against a little loser's 1v1 situations, um, which I can because, as I said, Aston Villa do have quality. Then Aston Villa perhaps would have had more clear goal-scoring opportunities, but Liverpool are very sharp and um, very successful in defensive duels. Robertson won 3 out of 4 of his duels, Gomez won 5 out of 7 of his duels, and it just ensured that these transition moments didn't really suffice into clear, clear opportunities. Villa probably had two or three clear opportunities. Uh, one came from a corner, and two came from sort of transitions out wide. Um, one was a Leon Bailey scuff shot, and the other one was sort of um, McGinn's shot that went over the bar, from what I remember, top of my head. Um, so yeah, I think you take that. I think if you're in the club, you take that. Would you be 100% satisfied? No, but you're never going to be 100% satisfied four games into a season. You're probably never going to be 100% satisfied at all in a game of football because there are always going to be some errors because you're playing against an opposition. Um, and that opposition is also going to change things and be dynamic in some sort of way to adapt to what you are playing. So then you have to adapt to that. You can never sort of fully execute and just expect to fully execute. You're going to have to change a bit. Um, and so Liverpool adapted when the press was broken due to Aston Villa's high pace and direct play. They ensured that the duels were good and they were able to win them. So that was great. One thing that I was very impressed with was um, the, the the control that Liverpool displayed in position. In in particular, I'm referring to the build-up phase um, to sort of, I guess, share the idea of what I'm referring to. Once again, if you've, if you've listened to the past few podcasts, you, you'll probably be familiar with this idea. But I think Liverpool have been having a few issues with build-up and, and Klopp has admitted that publicly in the press conferences. At the press conference before Bournemouth, he said that 40, 40% or 35% possession, I wonder it was. It's a joke. Um, they were quite rushed. Um, they were quite frantic. Um, he said the start of the Bournemouth game was similar before they settled in. Um, he even said aspects of the Newcastle game were, were like that as well. So essentially Liverpool are, they they play with a, what would you say? You'd probably say it's a, yeah, you'd probably say it's a 2-2 in build-up, but the likes of Sabasai and Jones or, or Diaz and Salah can also get, no, you, you say it's a 3-2. Yeah, you say it's a 3-2, Robertson, Matip, Gomez, and then um, the three two is just a central part of the build up. Obviously, the, the, there are wider options as well. So, but what they do is that in in in, in sort of build up and in, in possession, they play into the feet of the midfielders. They play into the feet of the attackers a lot, and they play with the, they play with high pace. So the balls playing into the feet are quite quick. And so what happens usually is that if there is a bad touch or if, if for example, um, there is high pressure on that player and they lose the ball, then also Liverpool are in such a disorganized state. Um, and then they don't have control of the ball. So uh, playing like that is okay because at times that works when there's spaces, when there's sort of when you want to play quicker, when you want to accelerate the tempo of the game, when you want to drive the defences, you want to play direct into the feet with high pace. But you can't sustain that for 90 minutes because oppositions will adapt to that. 
and then you'll start losing the ball more and then you'll be doing a lot more defending you won't have that control that Jurgen Klopp wants through his high press and counter press because we have to understand the purpose of the high press and the counter press the purpose of the high press and the counter press is to win the ball back and then to take control the ball so I thought much better with that yesterday there was a, a much more controlled tempo Trent and McAllister knew when to slow down the pace of the game and to sort of just wait for the openings um, another thing that I liked in build-up was Luis Diaz would come deeper he would help out Andrew Robertson because Robertson has been one of the people that has struggled the most in build-up this season because he'd usually just get aggressively pressured and he's, his passing options in that left centre-back role are a bit sort of limited he can play the ball down the line or he can play, play sort of a lofted, a lofted ball in behind um, and I guess you can play sort of just a simple pass into central midfield, but Robertson doesn't really have very great sort of um, breaking the lines diagonally or sort of um, in, in the half space passing ability. His angles are a bit limited and, and oppositions mark him in a way to limit those angles. So what Liverpool did yesterday was that Lewis Diaz would be much deeper in build-up. He would sort of come um, to, to an extent, yeah, even in his own... Uh, defensive half to help Robertson out and what this would do by shorting this shorting the distance in the build up was that Liverpool essentially more control because there's more simple passes you can play, there's more give and go passes you can play, there's more triangles you can create, something that Xavi at Barcelona loves to do. Um, and that's what they did. And then and, and it worked quite well. Um and anyway, it was good to see that the, the, the sort of the control that they had. As I said, I think the control was also a function of Aston Villa just being so so I will not gonna say lazy because I think it was their plan. I think just being so defensive in their press or just not being as aggressive in their press just sort of sitting back in that 4-4-2 out of possession structure and just letting Liverpool play I think that definitely did help them a lot it wasn't as frantic of a game as a Newcastle or a Chelsea who both press high under Pochettino and anyhow um, so perhaps that did help them Iriola also presses quite high so then you can understand why Liverpool perhaps were frantic in the first 20 minutes until they got used to Bournemouth's style of play um, so you can see the similarities. Teams that press Liverpool high, Liverpool play a bit frantically. I thought, I thought against Bournemouth they adapted. Um, against Newcastle a bit, but uh, I don't think Newcastle is the, the exact accurate sort of sample size of that because they were down to 10 men. Um, Chelsea, they, did, they didn't adapt. It was just frantic the whole time, but that was the first game of the season. I think there were a lot of teething, systemic issues in that first game, which Klopp has sort of solved since then. But yeah, I, I thought the build-up was definitely... A positive and um, we've talked about Dominic Sobosley and his individual quality seamless fit um, I just want to sort of further that idea by talking about his tactical awareness and I'm going to focus on one play for this um, hopefully you guys can sort of resonate and relate to this play that I might have mentioned it was um, in the 33rd minute where essentially Trent Alexander-Arnold saw the opportunity to step up and win a ball so he steps up from his sort of right back or his inverted fullback position all the way into sort of right attacking mid he wins a ball he runs down the flank and then he crosses Nunez whose shot was blocked um, and then Villa were on the break so what do we have now Trent Alexander-Arnold is essentially in the attacking box of Liverpool there is that diagonal that oppositions always look to exploit against Liverpool when, when sort of Trent pushes down the flank was open. What does Sobosai do? He drops down to the right back position. What does Trent do? He takes off Sobosai's right center mid position. And then when the ball gets recycled, what do they do? They interchange back into the actual positions. That there is the tactical awareness that Liverpool didn't have last year. That there was a cohesion, the defensive cohesion and the tactical cohesion that Liverpool didn't have last year. Because in the prime years, when Liverpool was so good under Jurgen Klopp, Henderson and Wijnaldum would be able to do that mopping up for Robertson and Trent, especially Trent because of how aggressive it was. Lastly, that didn't happen because they were so occupied in winning their, doing, executing their own roles, which was that high press and the high counter press and not being broken. Um, and that also meant that Liverpool couldn't attack with 
as much nuance as they are in these first few games. Trent couldn't make those aggressive runs. That fluidity and flexibility couldn't occur because they were so defensively cautious. They didn't want to be caught out. Um, but Sobersai is giving them that tactical awareness. He's giving them that tactical versatility just because of his work rate, the amount of stuff that he can, he can do, the amount of positions he can occupy, the amount of players that he can sort of grow into, and the amount of defensive duties that he can do as well. Um, so that's great. And I think it has... I don't think you can quantify the positive impact it has, on, it has had on Liverpool's cohesion. Um, but it's definitely had a very big sort of impact uh, intangibly. Like Liverpool's system is just much more cohesive and it's, it's a major part of their success. In terms of individual performances, I thought I thought, I thought thought Salah grew into the game a lot more. I, I still think he's not his best, but I, I also think you get a bit of this with Salah. You get, a, you get a few games where he just takes too many touches, he takes weird shots, he makes weird decisions, um, and then you have a few games where he's an absolute world-class player and he's scoring worldies, he's, he's assisting worldies. Um, but to be fair, he still had his moments. That that outside the four-cross to Nunez, which Nunez should have finished, um, the goal, obviously, um, lots of runs in behind. The, that's the one thing with Salah that you're going to get, which is a, a given. He's going to run, He's going to outrun people, he's going to be quicker than people, and he's going to be very good in the dribble. You're going to get that with Salah. Nunez as well, as I said, I think when he starts, there's just another dimension that Liverpool have, and the fact that Liverpool's press excelled with Nunez yesterday is going to give Jurgen Klopp and Nunez a lot of confidence, because I think that's the main reason David Nunez doesn't start, because of sort of the press um, not being as good with um, with Nunez in the squad. So I think that's the main reason he doesn't start. Um, because Gakpo and Jota provide great sort of pressing abilities and they can drop deep and help that midfield out. Obviously, Nunez doesn't do that, but the attacking dimension of Nunez is sort of... The potential of the attacking dimension of Nunez is, is boundless. The, the runs in behind, the, the, the chances he creates, the, the different positions he can occupy, the, 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 the defensive spacing that he occupies, it's just it's unmeasurable. And even yesterday, what, he had three to four chances. He got the assist for the solid goal. He made stuff happen again yesterday. He could have easily got a brace... Um, he's still a bit raw. I still think the finishing needs to be worked on, but as you saw against Newcastle, it's improving. Those were two great goals that he scored. And I think going forward, Nunez is that guy for Liverpool. I think Agpo and Jota will have times, they will have games where they have to play, um, and perhaps they could even play in the left sometimes, um, perhaps against uh, oppositions that might be a bit more sort of defensively cautious, like a loot in town, let's say, then Gakpo could even play in midfield if you want to do that. So Liverpool have options. Um, they obviously have Gravenberch coming in as well. They have Endo and Pachetic who can still play that sixth role. Um, it's looking good. But yeah, Nunez's performance yesterday, I, I was impressed. He ran a lot. He was greatly physical. It was it was typical Nunez. We talked about Gomez, Matip and Robertson. I thought they were great defensively. And I, I think their defensive success is once again a, a big positive for the direction Loop was taking. Because with the likes of Van Dijk and Konate out, it could be easy for Loop to fall. But no, Gomez and Matip have stepped up, especially in arduous situations such as the 10 men situation in Newcastle. So that's great. Um, I was very impressed by McAllister as well in the number six role. He won a lot of balls. He won, he recovered a lot of balls. He was the first to a lot of balls. I think it was like 10 plus or something if I remember the foot mob stats correctly. So he looked quite settled in that number six position as well. And as I said, he was very good in build up, especially. I just loved the control that he brought in build up. Um, and I just love the passing range he has. And I, I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think we've seen still a few mis-executed passes and key situations for McAllister. So he's still growing into it. Um, he can still play better. But just defensively is why I focus on Deluxe McAllister playing six. And I thought he excelled in that uh, as well um, in terms of press and in terms of also just settled defense as well. Um, so to conclude, I don't think Aston Villa was very good. 
I think Aston Villa's tactics fed into Liverpool's success, but I thought this was Liverpool's best performance of the season. Um, I thought the individual roles worked really well. I think that the system is becoming so much more cohesive and so much more sort of nuanced and harder to play against. And I think we're seeing aspects of Liverpool that we saw a few years ago. It's a little bit early to counter to count count the eggs or, or sort of um, accurately measure what 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 Liverpool's ceiling is this season, but the momentum is there. The results are coming, and that's what you're going to focus on. So yeah, um, international break now, but we'll be back um, again when Liverpool play Wolves for another Liverpool breakdown. Till then, the, the, the main sports on podcast will be running. Um, I'll be getting sort of analysing a few other games from around Europe, talking about the tennis as well, talking about the Asia Cup, tennis cricket wise. But if you are enjoying this Liverpool breakdown and and you want to sort of get tuned in for the other other main podcasts that's coming as well, please give me a rating, share the podcast around, please give a follow so you're notified when the podcast episode comes around. And please share this around itself and give me feedback because that's the only way I can improve. And get that production quality improved so you're getting better better sort of content out there and if you get in touch with me we can also expand the ideas we're generating here on this podcast until then until the next episode i'll i'll see you soon thank you